0: Welcome back to Birds of a Feather Talk Together. We're back from a short break and are excited to talk about the roseate spoonbill. For those of you that aren't familiar with our podcast, my girlfriend Amanda and I have gotten into birding in the past year and have been lucky enough to meet John Bates and Shannon Hackett, two experts in their field who also happen to be married. They're curators of birds at the Field Museum in Chicago and two of our favorite people to talk to. Each week, they offer their knowledge on a different bird, and we jump into a number of different topics related to that bird. With the recent sightings of the roseate spoonbill up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, we decided now it would be a great time to talk about these amazing birds. What causes their bright pink color? Is it common for birds to have a receding hairline? Why are they all of a sudden being seen up north? We also answer a question from a local photographer about the great blue heron more info on him and his question later in the episode. It's a super fun one. Shannon even wore all pink in honor of the Spoonbills. Now grab your binoculars and let's get started. Welcome back everyone. Um, We've been off for a couple weeks, so it's nice to get everyone back together and see everyone. I'm with Amanda and John and Shannon as always. I'm doing our first morning recording, so if our vibes are a little different, maybe we're a little slower. (laughs) Or a little brighter. Or a little brighter, a little perkier. (laughs) The big rainstorm that came in this morning didn't. The robin didn't wake us up at four a.m. True, so true. Oh, so even didn't. they take a break. Yeah, yeah. And
1: <laughs> yeah, they they seem uh, not amenable to shaming in that way. No, no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, how's everybody been? Good,
2: good. good. We. Back from vacation, a week in the Jersey Shore, which was
0: wonderful, lots of birds. Nice. nice. Our
1: version of the Jersey Shore, oh. which does not involve Snooky or any <laughs> of those people. I saw you were sending
0: me pictures. I was like, what is this going to look like? And then it was luckily it was all birds. Right. I was like, oh, this, no is, Ferris wheels, this is great. No, no, no casinos. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Just
1: really beautiful beaches and good friends. Nice. nice. Do
0: you have family out there or friends you are visiting? Or? We,
1: we're godparents to the kids of this family we met when our son was very little, Um, and we immediately got attracted to them because the father was pitching to the two-year-old son, free pitching. And uh, John and I looked across the parking lot uh, and the playground at this school, this preschool they were going to uh, and we just immediately said we have to know them (laughs) (laughs) so we went up and introduced ourselves (laughs) you know our kids became very very good friends and now we're the godparents of the children they had after the daughters they had after that's great so uh, this is an annual tradition for them um the the mother grew up basically around their parents had a house there until fairly recently So this is they rent a house right by the beach. Oh wow. So we have the beach and there's a pool in this house. It's really pretty fantastic. And
2: it's and it's just north of Cape May, which is one of the primary migration spots on all of eastern North America. So it's a yeah, it's kind of a legendary place for for birding too. Oh is it a good time of the year to go there for birding? Well, I don't think there's a bad time to go there for for birding. It's going to be better as fall migration kicks in and and spring migration is also fantastic there. So it's getting there. It was really kind of fun cuz you're seeing the first migrants sort of start to come through.
1: I mean, one of the girls um her name is Grace and she's always gone bird watching with John and done things you know, had John has always shown her pictures of birds throughout her whole life and and now she's completely obsessed with bird memes. Oh. And she is good at finding these really interesting bird things. Oh. So she just communicates through through bird memes. Now. <laughs> it's hilarious. With our
0: social account, I've started finding all these bird memes, too. And they're so funny. There's so many good ones out there. I'm totally into it, too. <laughs> well, Grace would approve. And okay. she'll send
1: you a thousand of them great. in about five <laughs> minutes. <laughs>
0: That's great. <laughs> Well, we had a really exciting uh, sighting just this past weekend. We sent you a picture, um, but it was a pileated woodpecker that we saw up in Daniel Wright um, in Libertyville, and so we didn't even realize that they were around here at all. Um, so I, we were thinking it was pretty rare. We checked on eBird, and none had been seen at Daniel Wright before. So we just wanted to. Yeah, none I mean, had been
1: it, seen ever.
0: Not in uh, eBird. Not it. Yeah, not on eBird at Daniel Wright. Yeah, interesting. Not so, so so so
2: you know that's. Along the river there the yeah. the displays and and they're probably moving into the bigger patches of forest all along that part of the river okay so so they're in places like uh um, uh Ryerson and mm-hmm. uh uh
0: some of the other woods further north and uh yeah but what a bird oh my gosh yeah it's the first time we've I think seen one in the wild maybe Mm -hmm. or at least with our binoculars and it was so much bigger than we thought we thought it was a hawk we weren't expecting to see one and all of a sudden saw two just really big birds fly overhead and looked at each other and couldn't figure out what it was and then finally spotted it and we're like oh my gosh yes (laughs) so that was really exciting so exciting! yeah yeah. Yeah. they're just again it's it's neat to see them move into this
2: part of Illinois they're yeah. along the Mississippi and and some of the other big river valleys but but i think they're getting more common here because i think the trees are getting older and mm-hmm. and okay. bigger for them and so they can find nesting sites okay awesome.
1: so you think of seeing a downy versus a hairy woodpecker and the hairy seems so much bigger but then you see a pileated woodpecker and you're like well, that's a big yeah. yes. Yeah, yes.
0: <laughs> It's like in a whole different category. Like we were blown away at how big it was. Yeah. So did you always... take pictures? We did. Yourself, yeah. yeah. A whole bunch of
1: them. I know you sent us one. But... Yeah,
0: yeah. It yeah. was kind of tough to get a good picture, but we definitely got one or two that yeah. you can clearly see it. And we think it was a female, the one that we got the picture of, because we didn't see the red on her face. Yeah. So, because that's how you identify between mm-hmm. male and female, right? Female. Yep. Okay. Yeah.
1: Well, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And to identify yourself is really fun, too, to look at it and have enough confidence to know, well, I know what that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: We actually saw it a second time. The first time, we were kind of doubting ourselves, and then we actually heard it call later, and then Amanda pulled out the um, – from eBird and was able to play it, and we recognized it. So that was yeah. really exciting for us. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: thought it sounded like a monkey or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean,
0: it's – there. and again,
2: it's one of those things where if you haven't heard it for a while, or it's like, wait a minute, what is that? Yeah, right. And yeah. Really yeah. loud and – you can eat – the the tapping of them is much louder than the other woodpeckers too. Yeah, so we heard that as well. Yeah. yeah, You
1: don't want them tapping on the metal parts oh. of your roof or something yeah. like that displaying because that – it's really loud. Oh, I bet. Yeah, yeah. it would shake our whole house. Yes. <laughs> you think the robins are loud? Oh. I think woodpeckers make people absolutely crazy in their house and they oh. make them want to kill birds, <laughs> <laughs> even birds they love. <laughs>
0: So are they kind of coming this way more, or is it kind of more common to see pileated woodpeckers in the Chicago suburbs, or is that a pretty— Well, I
2: mean, so some other places are—they're down south in the Palos area, Mm -hmm. and so they're in the areas with bigger habitat. And the one thing about them that I find interesting is they— they're pretty much non-migratory, so so what you've got is you've got dispersal of individuals that are looking for territories, and so I think they probably wouldn't come into the Chicago area very much, just because I don't think there's enough good habitat for mm-hmm. them. Okay. Um, but they're definitely moving into the surrounding suburbs in, in the big
0: patches of forest. Okay, that's, that's exciting. Awesome.
1: Do you think there are more bird watchers in the Chicago area than there were twenty, thirty, forty years ago? And yes. so we get better sightings. And now we have eBirds mm-hmm. so that people have a place to deposit their their sightings. So you know a lot more, which is why I was surprised that there were no other reported records from where you were. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. maybe it's just more people around to see them or actually looking for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe. there's definitely
2: more people around. And, and the one thing I would say is that I think something like Pileated Woodpecker – if the birders are going to find when they go out to areas, and so so I think they're they're definitely their populations are are getting bigger over time in
0: the in the immediate area. Well, I think today we wanted to get into a bird that was very rare to see that's made headlines lately, um, the roseate spoonbill, which was first seen up in Green Bay. And then it sounds like there's been a sighting in the Chicago suburbs as well. Is that right? Yeah, there was yeah. A, a one flew
2: by at uh, Techny Basin, which is a place the the North Shore birders go for it's off of. Uh, uh,
1: it's not off of Willow. Is yeah, it? it's
2: off of Willow. Yeah, thank okay. you. Okay, yeah. And uh, um, it basically did a, a fly around. It was one oh, of those great stories where I heard that uh, the guy who watched it was trying to take a picture of it when it first flew by and his camera malfunctioned and he, he was oh, just oh, like, oh. Oh. The and it made a circle and came back and he got absolutely beautiful yeah the
1: pictures oh. are really nice I don't know if wow. you've seen them no. But, no no yeah
0: oh wow we'll have to check that yes. out yes yeah. Yeah, and so we were reading an article about how it first got to Green Bay, and there was people were saying it might have been from a storm that it rolled in. Have you heard that? Or? Well, I think you know the, what's going on with with rosy spoonbill, and then there's also
2: the, been this this huge number of uh, limpkins that have shown oh, yeah. up, which is another bird from the south that, that that's uh, associated with water and things that have shown up in the Midwest this year. Um, it's it's basically vagrancy. And I think it's an interesting thing to talk about with respect to this bird, because according to the papers, it had been 178 years since one had shown up in Wisconsin, and that uh, one was dead. Yeah, well, uh, so. or shot. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. I think me they to. found it. Oh, did they? Dead. Okay, uh, is that what I think they, that's they said? The... But you know, so what it shows is that roseate spoonbills, which are native to the to the coastal areas of Texas and the Gulf of Mexico, over into Florida. Um, drift north at, at at various times and and other birds do this i mentioned the limpkins earlier but you know it, it's essentially this it's a it's a vagrant that's way out of range okay. and so it's really exciting cuz obviously this is a big pink bird with a Spoon bill and, and so it's going to you know, get
1: noticed and bright red eyes yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, I guarantee
2: you the first person who saw that was super excited and I know I know, Woody Goss the guy who watched the bird at Techni was definitely <laughs> over the moon when it oh, flew by because all the Chicago birders were saying well that bird in Green Bay must have come through Illinois but you know these are vagrancies is an interesting thing in, in birds where it's a lot of this would be termed something called post-breeding uh, wandering, mm-hmm. meaning that sometimes when birds get done nest with their nesting season, they'll start moving around. I also think that the other thing that happens that's a little less emphasized is that you've got young birds that have are a year or two old, so they're not actually breeding yet, but they're hanging around these colonies in the breeding areas, and they may just decide to look around for other places, and so they get going and just keep going.
1: Okay. Well, that's a long drive from the but, coast of the Gulf to but, but, Green but, Bay, Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but,
2: but coming back to weather, I mean, weather definitely can play a role in how these things move around, okay. and so I don't, I, I can't remember looking at the the weather systems for the last couple of weeks before that bird, you know, showed up in in Green Bay, but but. Uh, It definitely can. You know, sometimes if if those birds are already moving around, say, down in Georgia or North Carolina or something, they could move inland if, you know, the weather patterns are are favorable for that. And that Mm -hmm.
0: definitely happens sometimes.
1: Have you guys seen them in the wild before?
0: Oh um, yeah, I've seen them down in Florida before. Yeah. So my grandparents not you, used to. No, no.
1: Not oh me. my gosh, yeah. <laughs> They're that so is, strange looking. And you so do not cool. forget the first time you see a roseate spoonbill. That could be in a zoo too, because you get to see them up close. But the I never, I never even knew they existed. Mm-hmm. I don't really think much when I moved to to Louisiana and to go out and see an entire pink tree and to know that that. <sighs> tree is pink because it's full of giant pink birds it was it's unbelievable it's really quite a sight (laughs) that is so cool and
0: then their their beaks too right their bills like that wide i mean it's such a they don't even
1: look yeah real they almost (laughs) look like a mr potato head that you know (laughs) kind of put the you you stare into the box and kind of put all the weird parts (laughs) on on a bird but yeah so they they feed in water. And their beaks are narrow uh, and flat, and have a spoon at the spoon-shaped mm-hmm. at the end. And the cool thing is they're full of nerves. So if you stick your head in water, you better have a way of feeling, because you're not going to be able to see f- feeling what you need to eat. Mm. So
0: so they'll actually f- feel food down there and know. Yes, yeah, so they buy swish it and...
1: their heads back and forth, wow. and all the nerves really give them a highly sensitized end of their beak, and they. F- feel little fish, little crustaceans, okay. um, little invertebrates that are in the water. Okay. Um, and they I guess they do it with their beaks open a little bit, mm. too. So, so you just know, and, gobble it up.
2: I wanted to bring up one of the other things about the fact that this bird was up in Green Bay. And and with vagrants, one of the interesting questions is how far would you drive to see something like that if you're a bird watcher? And, and <laughs> I know some of the North Shore birders... Got up to Green Bay to see that bird wow. because it stuck around long enough. Wow! You know, and 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 that's one of the interesting things as people get into birding,
0: is deciding to chase rarities or not. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Do does anybody know where it's gone since it was in Illinois? Are there sightings that it's made its way back down south?
2: So that's one of the interesting things about all of these kinds of things is. You can't even be sure that it's necessarily the same individual. Oh, right. So there were a couple other, there were some ones in southern Illinois, and and so eBird, because people are posting things, you might be able to make some pretty strong inferences, but it's hard. And so one of the things about vagrancy is. It's really hard to study in any kind of rigorous way unless you could literally catch the bird and put a transmitter on it mm-hmm. and then let it go and see what it did.
1: I mean, this sounds horrible, but the fate of a lot of birds that get way off their paths is to die because mm-hmm. they can't find their way back. If there's something wrong with their orientation systems, they they end up, you know, some polar opposite of where they think they're going. And they don't they can't get back and they have no... Mm-hmm. Way of finding a mate. If they're if you go that far out of your range, you're kind of in trouble, oh, right. unless you can can find your way back. Yeah, and it's a long way between Green Bay and you know the southern coast of the United States to go yeah. to to breed or find more of yeah. what you are. So sure, um, you have to wonder what is happening in the birds mm-hmm. that maybe they have some kind of variant that. Encourages more wanderlust than uh, uh, than other birds, mm-hmm. and so there's something about them; they're just going to pick up and move further distances. And I mean, yeah.
0: climate has got to be contributing to that too, right? Wouldn't you think? I mean, potentially. Potentially, I
2: mean, yeah. I mean, you always wonder, and and the problem is, there the numbers are so small at that point for roseate spoonbill So a, a good example of another. Um, uh short uh waiting bird like this would be little blue heron, which has bred in the southern part of the Chicago region in the past in one or two pairs or and now they're not there, and so you start realizing that that the other thing about these kinds of situations is it's probably not a male and female roseate spoonbill that are gonna find each other and actually start nesting in any of these areas. It's just mm-hmm. these wandering individuals that are yeah. coming up right now. But the trees but it, of
1: Chicago are not going to turn pink from roseate spoonbills, <laughs> not anytime soon. But it
2: could absolutely be the vanguard of something else. So, for instance, this this limpkins, this, this other bird that specializes in snails, kind of like roseate spoonbills, are confined to the coastal areas of – and most – limpkins are mostly in southern uh, Florida – they specialize on an apple snail there, which is this giant snail. And there's an introduced Asian apple snail that's gotten established in northern Florida and has gotten really common. And that's allowed the Limpkins to start breeding much farther north wow. than they did. Okay. And so their populations are clearly doing much better. They moved in and started breeding in Louisiana. And so it seems like a lot of the birds that we're getting this year could really be the result of an expanding population where with the spoonbills, they're an interesting bird a lot of times they there's in these colonies in the south they'll have years where they fail for various reasons because the water levels aren't suitable and and they can't find enough uh, food to feed their young and in those situations they may start wandering a little bit mm-hmm. and so it may not necessarily be about populations. Producing more individuals, such that they're moving northward or not. You know, I, I just think we'll have to see over time, and it, mm-hmm. that's the, kind of the neat thing about these observations.
1: But that's the great thing that eBird is going to allow into the future, mm-hmm. right? Is that you can be at the more leading end of understanding the changing distributions of birds because of that public database that's available for anyone to both put observations in and to kind of interpret the observations that are that are there.
0: Yeah, it's like everyone's collecting data now. Anybody that's looking at birds, so that's mm-hmm. got to be super helpful.
1: Yeah, and those are the things that's going to help us protect birds. Mm. Yeah. So every little contribution makes such a big difference. And you might think, well, who cares, birding in my backyard, it doesn't, it's nothing. But that's actually n- not true. There's lots of things we know because people are looking at birds in their backyard. So really critically important that people know that their observations matter and that they matter from that perspective and it's all of these some of all of these observations that will help us understand the biology of birds and how best to protect them
0: yeah we were texting back and forth about how wild it would be just to look out your backyard and see a roseate Spoonbill. Oh, I, mean, I, would, <laughs> I might
1: faint. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't believe it, actually. I'd be like, ugh. Let me check my eyes. <laughs> <You> know, so <laughs> someone, I... someone putting that in the tree for me? Is that a specimen? <laughs> what is that? I've
2: evolved over time to the point where the first thing I would do is grab the camera and mm-hmm. try to get a photo. And, oh, yeah. and you know, that's...
1: I'd probably stand there and on like, where's my phone? Where's my phone? <laughs> but, but but then the
2: next thing I would do is post it to one of the bird chats for the North Shore, so the other birders could look at it. So for instance, people have done that in in the Evanston area when uh, a bald eagle or a another migrant flies over, they'll say, well, it's going south, and you can go out in your yard and see if you can actually find it or not. That's really (laughs) true with
1: cranes, right? So people on the northern um, edges of these networks will tell you they're flying south right now. You go outside, and you can hear them coming over your house. That's so cool.
0: Yeah, we're excited to start hearing them. We haven't heard any yet. Yeah. I had a question about the, the roseate spoonbill. So I've seen them before in the wild, and they're so striking, their color. But I didn't realize that they have, uh, like, a that they go bald. I thought that was so interesting to read about. Are there other birds that, like, does the California condor, I think, is bald, right? But are there other birds that start with feathers and then over time lose their hair? Or is that... <laughs> <laughs> Almost all the bald birds that, I think all
2: the bald birds that that actually... That's a good question whether all of that's true universally. But I would say most birds are born with feathers. And then if they have bald heads as adults, they lose them over time. So vultures, for instance, are like that. And, and, uh, you know, in in the case of vultures, the idea is that that's an adaptation to um, stick your head into carcasses and things. And so having feathers would get blood in it. And it's just kind of a mess if you do it. Yeah, you
1: can't preen your own your head, head uh, right. you know, other yeah. birds could preen their head yeah. for them and that does happen but if you're gonna stick your head into dead <laughs> gross things <laughs> with, you perhaps don't want to stick all yeah. that goo into your feathers <laughs> kind of gross to even talk about it but with yeah. with,
2: with roseate spoonbill it's really interesting because the uh, spoonbills they're they're uh, six species so roseates one of six and the other five actually all have much more, they may have some facial um, skin uh, that's visible, but their heads are actually feathered, and so mm. I'm not sure exactly why roseate spoonbills don't have a feathered head. Oh, okay, that's interesting.
0: Do they are they sensitive to sun? Like, can you get sun get sunburn? Yeah, can you get sunburned? Good, really good question. Um,
1: I don't know what's in their skin. What color is this? itself it's, is it like a it's kind of it a, like a bluish?
2: Yeah, it, it's well, there there are some some different tones in there, but but uh, that's a good, that's a really good question because yeah. they're nesting in very exposed areas, yeah. they're foraging in exposed areas all the time.
1: Yeah, do birds get a sunburn? I never thought about that before. Yeah.
2: You know, this is a bird that that is surprisingly understudied, despite the fact that it's mm. so charismatic and 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 I'm not really sure. Why that is, you know, there are a lot of basic aspects of its natural history that are kind of poorly known. So, for instance, there's not a lot of known about the average lifespan of a of a roseate spoonbill. I mean, there's some data
0: from from banding and and stuff, but not very much. Mm-hmm. This is another like random question about them. So when I would see them um, when I was younger, they were always like balancing just on one leg. And I know a lot of birds do that. We've been at the Botanic Gardens noticing that even like ducks do that. But we were just like just kind of noticing like what's the do you know do we know why they do that? So yes. this.
1: conserving warmth. Okay. Oh. By tucking your leg up. You're tucking it closer to your body, closer to the feathers, closer to the warm spots. Oh, so okay. So birds have really interesting circulatory systems in their in their legs, and birds that live in really cold environments sometimes they have feathers all the way down their legs to help with that, to keep their legs warm. But the um, blood vessels are really close together, so that the blood, the warmer blood leaving your heart warms the blood back up that's getting going back to your, mm-hmm. your heart so they're really close together to have that exchange of heat okay. in their legs there's all kinds of weird things like that but uh, sometimes but, I think maybe they just do it because they can and to
2: build on that when we were when I was walking the beach in Avalon one morning there were these big sanderling flocks which are these little shorebirds that go to and from the, the beach looking for my, you know small organisms and as the surf comes in they were up on shore and i was actually watching these groups where they would be kind of trying to sleep on one foot and they would literally hop away on one foot oh. without bringing the other one down like oh, they were wow. just too much trouble to try to do
0: it <laughs> that's wild <Huh>. that's <laughs>
1: I don't think it would go very well for me if I tried to stand long periods of time Beating. or sleep on Beating one either. leg. Yeah, I think I, that, know. I was wondering:
0: the... do they like switch off? Like I would get tired on one leg. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I need be to use the other one. for
1: my big giant pink chair that I take <laughs> with me. That's,
2: that's an interesting. I don't know whether anybody's ever looked into that from a mm-hmm. scientific standpoint. Like, yeah. do they switch off legs and and or are, are they right footed and or left footed? Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Huh.
1: Right. no idea but lots of birds do it
0: um, yeah yeah we noticed that even yeah like ducks there's a lot of birds that we've just noticed randomly and are like oh that's such a interesting thing and yeah. hadn't really thought about it so i wanted to bring well, it up and, and the stability is just phenomenal
1: yeah it's not easy to do that no. yeah <laughs> not for long periods of time and no. some of them are like that and they're it's not like they're stumbling they're not stumbling around right. on one leg like right. i would yes <laughs> me they're too. they're very graceful sturdy and, yeah. and on their foot. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got a, a question. Um, is there any other, uh, roseate spoonbill topics we want to cover or should we jump into, do you
1: want to cover why they're pink? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Let's do that. (laughs) I always have to. I love pink. Pink is my favorite color. Everybody who knows me knows that. And actually, I'm dressed in pink from head to toe today. (laughs)
0: Shannon is in pink and has a pink bag. I do. (laughs) I do. I love that bag.
1: It's noticeable and everybody knows it's mine. And nobody takes things that are pink. So if you work around a lot of men, you should have all your stuff pink because they won't take it. So John doesn't steal my pink pens. People don't
2: That's true. People don't
1: steal my pink glasses and everybody knows they're mine. So it's true. He he used to take all my pens and every Christmas he would my stocking would be full of pens that he would buy to replace the ones that he took through the year. But not anymore because nobody takes my pink pens and they all know who they are. But yeah, I mean they're pink because of um, the carotenoids that they get from their diets. Okay. So they eat um, invertebrates who have gotten that from plants, and then it gets incorporated into uh, into the bird so that in the fat that's kind of at the boundaries of where feathers are formed. And then the, the um, pigment can get into the feathers okay. as it is. And so that... Questions about honest signaling are really there if you're because there's a lot of variation in the pink. How pink these birds are, how vivid that pinkish red is in the wings, how pink the bodies are, and juveniles are not as pink as adults as adults are. So, are you a high quality individual if you're the brightest pink? That's what some of the hypotheses would say that you're signaling your ability to get food and your superior ability perhaps to be a parent okay um oh, that's and it's and
2: it's interesting though that that eight spoonbill is the only pink one of the six species in the in the group mm-hmm. and and so yeah, it's the only one and it's also the only one in the new world and so somewhere along the evolutionary history of that bird they started incorporating the carotenoids that they were getting from their diet into that plumage. And it, it's 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 a and neat, that's neat story. And answers to
1: that question can happen using genomic un- techniques to understand what genes are in roseate spoonbills and what mutations there might be that are different from other spoonbills. And then if you make pink repeatedly about birds, pink is not a very common color in birds. Do they all do it the same way, or do they do it different? Um, do they do it differently? And genomic comparative genomics will tell us some of the answers to these questions. Okay. So I'm going to be curious. I don't know if there's a yeah. You would definitely want to study pink, wouldn't you? I would definitely <laughs> want to study pink. That's why kingfishers are so awesome because there's lots of pink uh-huh. and lots of iridescent pinky things in in kingfishers. Definitely, cool. there's lots of really cute pink birds. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I didn't know that. I when I think of pink birds, I think of like the flamingo, but I actually didn't, I didn't know about the kingfisher too. Yeah, kingfishers. When we're going to talk about kingfishers relatively soon, and you'll hear, yeah, kingfishers are awesome from that perspective. All these structural colors, kingfishers have everything, um, every pigment, every structural color. Nice. It's, it's exciting. Bright whites, serious blacks. Um, yeah. I'm excited for us to do a full episode on them. That'll be fun. Me too. Yeah. We could do... Three hundred episodes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. well, a, a, yeah. We wouldn't exhaust I mean, what we can know yeah. about. Ken I think fishers. we've got to do
2: ten thousand eight hundred episodes
0: just to cover all the species. So. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think there's way
1: more species of birds. Than well, that's that, true. So. <laughs> I, I <would>
0: <laughs> oh no, we don't have time for this again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're now no more discussions. Of, although Heather, who, our student who put that, who asked us about that, thought we did a pretty decent job of oh, talking great. about great. it. She goes, "I never thought you would actually do that." <laughs> Oh <laughs> my like, yeah. You are a disturber.
0: <laughs> All right, so um our question, so this was actually somebody a photographer that reached out to us on our Instagram account. His name is Dustin Weedner, and he shared a photo on his Instagram of a great blue heron. He said I love herons and being this close to one was thrilling. With this composition showing off its hilariously long neck, I wanted to learn more about it. It looks like they have 19 to 20 vertebrae in their necks while well, we have seven. And I read something that's hard to picture. The sixth vertebra is elongated and articulates so the neck can fold into the S shape. I'm curious to know what that looks like. If anyone has access to a skeleton or something, hint, hint, nudge, nudge at Birds of a Feather podcast. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a really neat observation. Yeah. So there are a
2: couple ways you can look at that. So, so one would be to actually have just the skeleton. And the funny thing about skeletons especially with articulated skeletons the field museum actually has probably numerically the largest holdings of skeletons in the world but most of them are are not articulated we a lot of our articulated specimens that are on display down in the bird hall and there are actually quite a few also in an exhibit called what is an animal actually date back to the 1893 world's fair because that's how big a Pain it is to actually articulate a full skeleton.
1: Yeah, it's super duper hard to articulate a skeleton. So when we um, turn dead birds into skeletons, we use bugs, we use beetles, the larvae of beetles to chew all the flesh. Um, and often that means what's in the bottom of the, you know, little basket that the bird sits in uh, as it's getting eaten, that they, they they don't keep, they don't stay all together, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, in a perfect Thing. so you would have to understand how it gets how all the bones put together and then you'd have to do very specialized things to keep the to keep that so we can i, I didn't have time to do this but we can take a picture and we'll make sure we that we post it of uh, a skeleton but i'm not sure what we'll see but you know
2: what we might also do is is put up a picture of a completely new way to look at things, which is that we can now CT scan stuff. And so with a CT scan, you could have everything articulated, have all the muscles there, and begin to look at it. And, you know, one of the interesting things about why birds have these long necks and extended vertebrae um, is obviously foraging related. Mm -hmm. But another aspect of long necks in birds is related to to head bobbing and the ability to keep their... uh, visual plane focused as they're as they're moving around and so there's a lot of interesting things about those uh, additional vertebrae that birds have um, from the perspective of what they're doing in terms of foraging and trying to catch prey
1: yeah I mean lots of birds kink their necks but not all big birds kink their necks like Mm -hmm. that so and what dictates that
0: what we talked about before—that um, was it. Cranes—they right. fly with their neck right. straight, and not yeah. right. the herons. So, so, so do ibis and uh, and spoonbills. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that was a great question. Yeah. So thanks, Dustin, for sending us that. And Dustin's an amazing photographer. We follow his account, um, so you can check him out at at Chicago dot wildlife dot um, and make sure to check him out on Instagram.
1: And we'll make sure we get some pictures uh, from our collections and. You can take a look and we'll make sure we post a link to the site where there are all of these CT scans of birds, which you can look at and rotate to your heart's content. Great. That's cool. Uh, and think about that's the same technology that looks inside of you to figure out what's the matter with you if you're if you're sick. The same technology that we use to look inside of a bird. Wow. Oh, that's
0: awesome. Cool. Well, I think that kind of wraps it up for today. Um, John, do you want to close it out? Yeah, I I just say uh, always look outside
2: your window because you never know what might be flying by.
1: Think pink.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for listening. And thank you to Earhole Studios in Chicago for hooking us up with a place to record. They're the best. If you have a question for John, Shannon, Amanda, and I, feel free to send it to podcast.birdsofafeather at gmail.com or reach out to us on Instagram. We have some really fun episodes coming up, including episodes on the kill deer, the ring billed gull, and the Willard Sooty Boo Boo. Join us next week for a brand new episode. Thanks.